It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. If you have a chance, you need to take a look at Ann Bench's quilts and sewing projects that are posted on her episode page at aquilterslife.com. Over the years, she has made hundreds of quilts. I think she probably has the largest sewing room I've ever heard of. What fun to visit with Anne. And I'm so glad you're joining me today on A Quilter's Life. Well, I'm glad to be here. Let's start with, where were you born and raised? I was born in the town of Amarillo, Texas, which is in the panhandle of Texas. I was the fourth of five children, two boys and three girls, Frank and John, and Jenny, Sharon, and Anne. Nice. Please share a special childhood memory. Well, I lived in the small town of Amarillo, and so one of the things that we used to do was to go to a park called San Houston Park. I lived on a street called Sunset, and it went around in a great big circle around the whole big neighborhood. So I lived about halfway around the circle from the park, and we went to the park a lot. It had a great big outdoor stage, and we'd get out there and act and do all kinds of silly stuff and acrobats and everything else at the park. Then I moved around the street, and my house that we moved to was right behind my house was part of the park. So I moved to the park. (laughs) (laughs) How fun. So I could go right out my back gate and go out on the tennis courts. And then across the street from that was the junior high school that I went to. But the park was my main thing, and we went there a lot. We took our picnics and our wagon and had lots of fun, lots of fun at the park. And there was all kinds of things you could check out. You didn't have to rent them, but you had to. There was an activity booth or something, you want to call it. And you could get board games. You could get basketball. You could get a baseball bat. Whatever you needed to play with in the park was up in this building. So I spent a lot of time at the park. Oh, how cool. I haven't heard of a park that had table games and things like that. That would be really nice. Yeah, it was really interesting, and we had a lot of fun doing that. You didn't have to take your own toys because they had them there at the park. You know, you didn't have to take your own basketball or your own baseball or whatever. You just went and checked it out. Oh, nice. Wow, that would be really cool to still have, wouldn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Also, I guess on the 4th of July, we popped firecrackers, and that was something that we did every year. You know, we had all these fireworks and stuff, and my kids didn't do that. We had such a limited time when they were little that we didn't didn't just go buy firecrackers and fire them off, you know. Yeah. (laughs) In Amarillo, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have block parties with the fireworks, too? No, not with fireworks, but we put on circuses and stuff like that and dressed up in costumes and stuff as kids. And we'd get all the different neighborhood kids and gather them around and we'd put on some kind of show for our parents. Yeah. uh, 
Sounds like a we used to climb up in trees, and we had a, a line that went across the street to one tree to the other. It went in a big circle, so you could clip a note onto the wire or the line. Then you could pull the wire and send the note over to the tree across the street. <laughs> <laughs> and we played dress up a lot. And my brother had a little wooden frame house in the back, which was his bedroom. He was a teenager. And he had a trap door in this house, and the trap door went through a ditch that he dug all the way around once the back and one side of it, and then that opened up into a tent. So we had a lot of fun playing in that little house, and it was actually his bedroom in the summertime. He was a teenager at the time, and we would go out there and we would play. I remember one time playing cops and robbers or bank robbers, and we went in and took all the money out of my mother's purse. And that was our loot. And he dug a ditch, and then he covered it with boards, so it was a tunnel, you know. Mm-hmm. So you had a trap door inside the little house, and you could go up along the back of the house and up on one other side. And then it opened up with a tent on the opening on that side. So we had all mother's money, and we dug little holes inside the tunnel, and we'd stick the money in there you know? <laughs> <laughs> and hide it. <laughs> and we had a great big tree. My brother built a tree house way up in the tree, and we had a great big sand pile. That's something that we always had was a big sand pile, and uh, it was 14 feet long and 8 feet wide, and my mother kept children, rather people babysat, so we always had a lot of fun. And in the summertime, when it was hot, we would get a great big wash tub and fill it full of water, and we'd play in the water, and that was our swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> We had a little short clothesline that was just our the kids' height. So we helped hang out clothes when we washed clothes before dryers came in. Oh, wow. My two brothers and me slept in one bedroom, and the two older girls slept in the front bedroom. We had old army bunks, me and John. But we would take turns with my older brother, Frank, and my younger brother, John, take times getting to sleep in the big bed. There was a double bed and a set of bunk beds. Uh, so we would take turns. We had lots of fun when I was a kid. We did all kinds of stuff. Rode bikes and drew with chalk on the sidewalk, a hopscotch thing, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and put our roller skates on with our roller skate key. Yeah, and, so you uh, didn't have the roller skates that were... Flipped onto our shoes. Yeah. Do they even make those anymore? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I had a pair of those when I was little. I live in a neighborhood now which doesn't have any sidewalks. So as I kind of live out in a rural area, I don't see any little kids playing anywhere because the pieces of property are they're like two and a half, maybe and some of them have five acres. So you're too far apart. Like right now, I only know my next door neighbor and they're brand new neighbors. They just moved in. It's actually, I haven't ever met their little two little boys that they have, but I met the mother and the father. So I've lived here 36 years, and the neighbors that I didn't know have either died or moved away. So I don't know anybody in my neighborhood. Oh, <laughs> wow. But I don't see little kids out too much. Sometimes their older kids are riding their bikes or they're jogging, you know, or going for a walk in the street. There's about four or five streets in this neighborhood. Great big long street. 
and I'll see them, but I don't know any of them anymore. All the ones I knew grew up and moved away. Yeah. <laughs> when we first moved here, my husband was a police officer for Houston, and he was very outgoing. And when we moved here, he knew all the neighbors. Yeah. You know, and we had a, a golf cart, and he would go to and down the road, go see all these different people. And, and I met people through him meeting people, but I didn't get out and go knock on doors and say, hi, here I am. <laughs> I did that to my new next door neighbor. But anyway, I don't know hardly anybody in my neighborhood at all anymore because the ones I did now moved away. Yeah. What a change from your childhood, huh? Yes. And then going back to my childhood, when I started to school, it was discovered that I was severely dyslexic. So I had a very hard time all the way through well, I still have a hard time spelling and reading. The dyslexia in me makes words jump out of the sentence or look different. Yeah. Uh, it makes the letters jump out of the words. So it doesn't always look the same to me. It also is kind of a memory thing. You know, you don't remember how to spell something. Even if if I would learn it, I'd, I'd forget how yeah. to spell it. So I still have that problem. I have to ask Jim all the time, how do you spell this? How do you spell that? (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I get it right, but I'm not sure. So I have to ask somebody, how do you spell that? Yeah. So I spell check all the time. And I don't like to read because it's so hard for me to read. So I don't read books. And a lot of times I don't read instructions. (laughs) 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 It gets me into trouble. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I used to watch TV all the time, but I don't watch TV anymore. I don't know when we've turned the TV on in our house. I think when the computer age came in and we had all the computers, well, then that's where I talk to people. I don't usually call them. I'm online talking to them. I never liked to read the newspaper. I used to order magazines, and I thought, this is stupid. I don't read anything here. I just look at the picture. <laughs> <laughs> But about the only books I do have are quilting books. <laughs> My dyslexia caused me a lot of problems in school and learning the way most people learn. Yeah. I think I learned more with auditory than I did with words on a piece of paper. Yeah. But I struggled all the way through school. I repeated I don't know how many grades and took summer school every year and... Anything I had to learn kind of through reading was very hard for me. Yeah. But I did learn. I wasn't stupid. I just... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's tough. But learning to do something by reading is not the easiest thing for me. If you have a lot of pictures and a lot of diagrams and showing this or that, for me, quilting is visual. I can see how to do it. Yeah. And I can figure out how to do it without reading. But like if I'm doing a recipe for cookies or something, well, I've got to be sure I read it over two or three times, you know, and make sure I've gone down the line and put the right amount of this in and the right amount of that in. Because I can't just accept the fact that I read it one time and I got it because I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. I moved to Houston in 1961. It was my first year of high school, and I lived in the Westbury area in Houston. 
and I went to junior high and high school in Houston. And then I had a really good friend in high school. She was my best friend, and she introduced me to her uncle. And I married her uncle and became her aunt. (laughs) (laughs) The day we met, Jerry was accepted into the police academy at Houston. So he became a police officer and was a police officer for 22 years. And then we went on to have two children, two boys, Kenneth and Rusty. Rusty was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, which is little bone disease. So he was a tiny little fragile baby that broke at the drop of a hat, just broke. (laughs) And he could turn over and break something. He is now 51 years old, and he cannot walk or stand up, but he can drive a car, and he does all kinds of things. He handles all of my business and my financial stuff for me, pays all my bills, and keeps my bank account in order. He's very smart. And um, he uses a big power chair now. He can move the couch with the power chair. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so he lives with me. And my other son, Kenneth, is married, and he has two boys. So I have two grandsons. And then one of them has a baby, which is my great-grandson. I was married to Jerry for 40 years, and then he passed away. So... I'm a widow now. I do have a boyfriend, but I have, but I'm a widow. Hmm. I never went to college. Mm-hmm. I never took typing in school because we had just come across as a typographical area, and I would fail. <laughs> <laughs> and I get tickled at sometimes when I spell things that it comes out wrong, you know. And I, what was I trying to say there? I can't even read my own writing. <laughs> But getting back to my childhood, my grandmother sewed, and she had 19 grandchildren, and so she was always sewing something and making clothes, and she would make a whole set of shirts for the whole family. She had six kids, and they all had kids, so each family got a whole set of shirts for each person in the family, and so I learned to sew from her. I also got interested in photography from her because even way back then when I was a kid, she was developing her own pictures down in her basement. And so I inherited that craft or whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. is taking pictures and editing them. Of course, it's all done differently now, but (laughs) I don't think you have to develop a picture anymore. (laughs) It's all digital on the computer. But anyway, I do that on the computer now. I I fix the picture. I take the background out, you know, whatever. So I learned to sew from her. Also, she was very musical, and she played the organ at church. So I also took up playing keyboard, and I did take piano lessons, but I couldn't read the music very well. It goes back to being dyslexic and seeing things totally different, things jumping out of place. So reading the music was very hard for me. You let me hear the tune once actually several times, then I can play it. And so I have a keyboard, and I play keyboard, and I can just play anything without any music in front of me. If I know the tune, I can just take off. Wow, (laughs) what a uh, gift. So coming back to quilting in that part, I've written a whole bunch of songs about quilting in our quilt retreats and things that happen at the quilt retreat. And I have one song that I can tell you, I won't sing it, but I can tell you. (laughs) 
Well, it was about old Jen Norton killing Sunbonnet Sue in a quilt block. She murdered her. Oh, no. <laughs> so I have a crazy song about old Jen Norton killing Sunbonnet Sue in a quilt block and how Sunbonnet Sue came back to haunt her at a quilt retreat and <laughs> did all kinds of things. <laughs> but anyway, I, I used to write all kinds of funny songs and quilting songs and just songs about anything. And I write little kids' songs, too. I sing. My daddy had a beautiful baritone voice. He sang. We had a piano at home, so I did take piano lessons. Like I say, I could not learn to read the music because it never looked the same to me. Mm-hmm. And I just learned to, uh, you play it for me, Daddy, and then I'll learn it. And so Dad would play it, or the music teacher would play it, and I would learn to play it by ear. So I have a lot of fun with that. And that's one of my hobbies is writing little songs. I've written, I don't know how many little kids' songs. And my first grandson's name was Tanner, so I wrote a song called Rootin' Tootin' Tanner from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so I've written all kinds of songs. I haven't professionally recorded them yet, but I do have some of them recorded on tapes and on CD, recorded on CDs and stuff. But uh, then I just do it at home. So anyway, my grandmother sewed, so I learned to sew from her. My mother knew how to sew. And then her sister and another cousin of theirs did sewing, and I learned a lot of sewing from them. And I can make just about anything. Anyway, I learned to sew at a very young age. I learned to sew on the old treadle sewing machine. That was the first machine we had. And then when I was 16 and in high school, I was taking sewing, and I was babysitting a lot, and I had made a lot of money. And I went and bought my very first sewing machine that cost $300. Wow. So that was a lot of money back then for a teenager to go spend on a sewing machine. And I took speech in high school. And so I had to do a demonstration speech, so I did it on my sewing machine. Oh, neat. And I got an <laughs> <laughs> That's where I got my sewing skills. Ability, I guess, inherited from my family, you know, my mother and aunts and I learned to sew, and as far as learning to make quilts, when I moved to the house that I live in now, about 36 years ago, I was bored. I didn't know any of the neighbors. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't keeping kids anymore, and I wanted to find something to do, and every day I'd take my son to school, and I'd go down the street looking to see what was out in this town, you know, just getting used to the area. And one day, my husband told me that they were having quilting classes at the library. They were free quilting classes. So I went to the library in Tomball and joined the quilting class. And I met all these ladies that were taking the class. And we wanted to have our lunch at the library, but they wouldn't let us bring food. So I said, we need to find a place where we can get together and bring our lunch and quilt, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we went to a county park, which is about a mile from half a mile from my house. And we met there for 20 years and we became the Tomball Area Quilters. And I became the head honcho (laughs) of the Tomball Area Quilters because I'm the one that got us to move over there. So I don't know over the years how many people we had join us at the park. We got new people all the time. And then I had to start taking care of my elderly mother. And she couldn't go with me to quilting, finally, so I had to stop going. Well, then it kind of just fell apart. Everybody started leaving. 
And now we're trying to get it going again. Some of the people have moved away, but we're trying to get some people interested. And the only problem is that the park building, their bathrooms are out of order, and we don't know when they'll ever be fixed. We could still use the room, but if you have to go to the bathroom, you've got to get in the car and go down to the filling station to go, and that's kind of inconvenient. So we haven't been able to get too many people interested in coming. We had about 10 people come the other day. But we met on Thursdays, every Thursdays, for like 22 or three years wow. at that park build. And we had a large number of people on our list. You know, they didn't always come, but they would come now and then at least. And some of them came every Thursday. And we would do all kinds of uh, quilting projects. And like every month we had to make a quilt block. I would usually be the one that decided, okay, we want to make a grandmother's fan this month. So everybody make your grandmother's fan. You can make it with, I give them the rules. You can make, it has to be red and white and blue, or it can be any color, whatever the rules were. I would tell them what to do. And so then we would all turn in a block and then we'd put our names in a drawing and we would draw a name and whoever's name we draw got all the blocks. So I won quite a few times, you know, over the years, you know, and everybody else won quite a few times too. So that was fun. Then I started being the retreat planner. I went with my mother to a place called Harambe Oaks Ranch, and she was meeting her sister there. And I don't know how they found it, but that's where they met up. And they were staying there, and I got familiar with Harambe Oaks Ranch, and I came back and I said, you know, girls, I went to this place, and it's a great place to have a quilt retreat. Both buildings have a great big room where we can set up tables and sew, and a bunch of us can go. So it had hotel rooms with three twin beds in each room. So it would hold a lot of people. So we started going on quilt retreats. So I became the retreat planner every year. And I would take suggestions from other people. And on the way, we do our quilt shop hops, you know, and go from quilt shop to quilt shop. <laughs> we just had a great time, you know, and we would decide what we were going to work on. At the retreat, everybody was supposed to make a certain block, whatever block I decided. And then again, we would pull a name out of the hat and somebody would win all the blocks. So had a lot of fun doing that and had a lot of people participate going to the retreats. And then we went to a couple of other places. One of them was Mo Ranch, which is owned by the Conoco Wilt Company. And one of them was the Harambe Oaks Ranch. And then when my mother got sick and I had to take care of her, then I had to kind of stop doing all of that because I had to take care of my mom. Mm -hmm. So anyway, as far as employment goes, yeah, I did childcare. My mother did childcare in our home and she kept kids and I helped her. And then I babysat all my teenage years. And then when I got married and I moved into a house and I had two kids, I started keeping the neighborhood kids. I would keep, six to 10 kids, five days a week for 20 years. Wow, that's a lot of kids. And I started babysitting when I was about 10 years old. Also helped my mother at the church nursery. And then when I got married and we started going to church, well, then I became a third grade Sunday school teacher. So I was still with kids. Mm -hmm. I haven't kept kids in this house. I didn't start keeping any kids when I moved here 36 years ago. 
Well, I had two grandsons that I kept every once in a while, but I didn't keep them every day or anything. Mm-hmm. And I have a great grandson that I don't get to see very often, but so I don't keep him. So I don't keep kids anymore. Yeah. And now I live in Magnolia, Texas, which is near Tomball. And how did you get there from where you were before? Well, I moved from Hidden Valley in Houston to the address I live in now. Mm -hmm. And I've lived here since 1985. My son, Rusty, who is the one that has osteogenesis imperfecta or brittle bone disease, if you want to call it that, he lives here with me. He was married for a while and on his own, and he can drive a car. So he has a car that's equipped for him to drive and has a ramp and everything. So he can. And then I have another young man that lives with me that has the same bone condition. Now, Izzy was is from Nigeria, and he came to the United States to have surgery on his legs when he was about 16, and then he wanted to stay and go to college, and so he did. I met him online, and he had never met another person with this bone condition that he has because he has the same bone condition Rusty has. So he wanted to meet the body. He was in Dallas at the time. I said, well, if you can come down here, you can meet my son, Rusty. Well, he came down here, and he's still here. (laughs) (laughs) And they help a lot. So that's what the living situation is here. I do have a boyfriend also living here right now because he broke his leg to begin with, and his house wasn't too wheelchair-friendly, and mine is, so he was having to use a wheelchair so he's still here, and now he needs surgery on his knees. Oh, no. So. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of covered who introduced you to quilting. Yeah. You know, I don't remember as a child, remember having a quilt. I just called it a blanket. Yeah. So I don't remember ever seeing anybody make a quilt, but they introduced me to sewing, and I make clothing, and I make all kinds of other stuff, curtains, and I have one aunt that had a drapery shop, so she introduced me to draperies when I was a teenager, and I could learn how to make draperies properly. That was my mother's sister, and my grandmother sewed everything she could imagine. There's just a lot of sewing in our family, and I don't remember ever seeing anybody making a quilt growing up at all. I was totally new to actually making a quilt until I moved here 36 years ago. Mm-hmm. Since that time, I've probably made over 100 quilts, or I'm going to say 100 quilt tops, and some of them got quilted. <laughs> and I look in my, I'm in my sewing room right now. My sewing room used to be a two-and-a-half-car garage. Well, it's a big room, and I had this whole room to myself for the longest time. Well, now my son moved in, he's taken up part of it, and my boyfriend has another part of it, and it's a big mess. And I keep thinking I need to make a quilt. But I don't need any more quilts. I've got a whole stack of them over here that haven't even been quilted yet. (laughs) (laughs) Why do I want to make another one? And then also, this sounds weird, but all the quilts I've made are either hanging on a wall or hanging on a quilt rack. I have one room that has a quilt on the bed. (laughs) And I don't even sleep with a quilt. So the other day I thought, well, these things have been hanging on this wall for 10 years. I better take them down and watch them. And I have a ton of quilt tops that are just laying over here waiting to be quilted. But I told somebody the other day, I said, uh, well, a a lady that used to machine quilt some of my quilts, I said, well, I don't have the money to buy the fabric to put on the back or the batting. 
and I don't have the money to pay you to quilt it. So it's probably not going to get quilted. <laughs> <laughs> and I never did like the hand quilt sitting in hand quilting. That just bugged me. It was too slow, and I just never liked it. But I've made lots of quilts and lots of quilted items. Right now I'm looking at two little, well, not little, they're about 24 inches tall. And they're angels that are up on the wall. And they have little quilted dresses on. And the dress is made with some printed fabric that looks like a crazy quilting, I think you call it. Then they have quilted wings, and they have little tiny yo-yos for their hair going across the top of their head, the little bow. And then for their halo is a piece of lace. And there's two of them up there. <laughs> I've made all kinds of dolls and what I call soft toys, stuffed animals and dogs. My grandson, I made him a whole bunch of little people that are just kind of a dome shape, but they're stuffed and they're dimensional. They have some little arms, not necessarily arms that stick out, but there's a thing that goes down that is an arm, you know, a sleeve of his shirt or whatever, or a little hand or something. So I made him a whole bunch of those. And I've made puppets, lots of different kinds of puppets. One of them is called Gabrietta, and she is a big, big puppet. Part of it you use a rod to move her hands around with, and then the other part you use your hand up in her mouth to make her mouth move. And she's big, and I didn't have a pattern. I just, I watched the video, and I thought, well, I can do this. Well, she got bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> she's like a three-year-old child size. <laughs> So I made her, and I made a lot of string puppets at one time, and just different things. Oh, pin cushions is another one of my hobbies. I make all kinds of pin cushions, and I'm looking at them right now. I have a bunch of them up on this shelf across the, on my desk, and like there's a spool of thread, and then a round puffy pin cushion pillow that has a dowel stick in it, and it sticks down into a spool of thread. And I see one here that's an apple, and then a basket, like a just a little straw basket, but it's just filled with stuffing, and then the pillow on the top. Yeah. And did you also make some Christmas ornaments? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was also into ceramics. I had a friend that did ceramics before I moved here, and I went down to her house. She says, well, you want to do some of these? And so I was painting stuff for her. She says, well, here, why don't you just do some of your own? And we would even pour this stuff in the mold to make the different little ornaments. So they're all ceramic. Every year I'd make different, not ceramic, but different Christmas ornaments for my tree. This past year I made little angels. I'll call them quilted angels. They're about five inches tall, maybe, maybe not quite that tall. And they're just little quilted angels. They're all different. Then I made, I was in the Red Hat Society, and I wanted to make something there for for Christmas, so I made these little dolls, but they're also pincushions. They're just a round circle of fabric, that's the body, and you gather that out and stuff it, and then they have a little wooden head and some little sleeves with a hand on it and a base on it so that it stays sitting up, and it's just a cloth little doll that's a doll and a pincushion, and they all had red hats. And 
I ended up making me some more. I made about 60 of them for the Red Hat Society girls. And then I made me some more, almost as many more, to put on my own Christmas tree. So I haven't made any lately, any other Christmas ornaments lately, other than the little angel. I made angels to give as gifts and stuff. On the quilting line, sort of, I made a whole bunch of pot holders this past year. Made pot holders, sleep masks, and zipper bags, what I'll call it a zipper bag. And it's a kind of a pyramid-shaped bag, but it's elongated. It goes up to a point at one end and down flat on the other end, and then the zipper is down the middle, and I put a little handle on it. And I've made a whole bunch of those, and I use them for everything. I got makeup in one. I've got sewing stuff in one. i got medicine in one. <laughs> <laughs> also looking at some little birds I made, a whole bunch of little birds I made to put on Christmas tree one year. They're just little stuffed birds. They're about six inches long, and they're made of fabric. So I just take off and start making stuff. Yeah. I'm looking around my sunroom to see. I make lots of dolls. I see up here on the wall, there's a little name tag that's made with kind of fuzzy fabric. It's a bear, you know, like a little teddy bear. That's probably our bear retreat. I made name tags for everybody every year when we went to retreat. So they all had a name tag. Did you have a theme with your retreats each year? Yes. Usually we did, yeah. And you didn't have to go along with the theme, you know, necessarily. But, yeah, we would have a theme. We had lots of fun at the retreats. Lots of fun. We did all kinds of stuff. Yeah. We'd go on our quilt shop hop on the way to the retreat and on the way back. We'd stop at all the quilt shops along the way because our retreat was held over in the San Antonio area. And we're in Houston, so... We could stop all the little foot shops along the way. <laughs> and see other hobbies and stuff that I do. I play the keyboard, I do ceramics, I make sock toys, I make dolls. I also took up painting with acrylic paints, painting pictures. And I don't do that anymore, but I did take some classes and really got into that. I'm always making some kind of tote bag, and I'm talking about big tote bags. The weirdest thing I've ever made sewing-wise was I made a canvas deer stand cover for my husband and some of his friends. (laughs) (laughs) It's up in a tree. It's like a tent, and it's canvas. And I had to take my sewing machine out under a carport and put it on an ironing board to sew the stuff on this cover that went over his deer stand. Do you have a favorite quilt that you made? Yes, it hangs in my entry hall in my living room, and it's red and white. And I got the pattern out of a book, I think, called The Hidden Block Quilts. And it's where you take a quilt block and you change some little something in that block several different ways. So if you looked at the blocks really closely, it has a part of the block in every block. And it makes different blocks, but they still have some of the same components in the block. But it's red and white, mm-hmm. and it's very pretty. And it's probably the most expensive quilt I ever made because I had to have somebody quilt it for me, and I wanted them to custom quilt it. Mm-hmm. So it cost me a lot of money. 
I told somebody, I said, well, it's got 10 yards of fabric on the back and 10 yards of fabric on the front. And if that's $10 a yard, well, you add that up. And I said, I had to buy 10 yards worth of batting. Then I had to buy the pattern. And then I had to pay somebody $350 to quilt the darn thing. Oh. Tell me quilting's not expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't even go on the bed. It just hangs on the wall. Most of my stuff hangs on the wall. I think I have my guest bedroom has a quilt on the bed, and it has one folded over the footboard, and then there's two or three on the wall. So that's the quilt display room in there. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a little doll that's sitting and quilting. She's got her little quilting frame, and she's hand quilting the quilt, and Aww. her quilt is spread out across her lap. And then um, I made her, and... Lots of other dolls, but not necessarily quilting dolls. Yeah, that sounds really cute. Is there a tool that you really like using when you're doing your quilting? Well, you know, your average quilting tool, you got to have a rotary blade and you got to have a cutting mat and rulers and a sewing machine. So those things are what I use to quilt with and a good pair of scissors. I think I went scissor crazy. Not very long ago, I think I went to Walmart and I bought a whole package of just cheap scissors so I could have them here and there in the house and, you know, not necessarily to sew with or anything, but I saw a thing on Facebook and this lady had a whole rack of scissors in her sewing room and I thought, well, why am I laughing at that? I probably have twice as many And I have a lot of rulers, a whole bunch of different size rulers. And looking around in my sewing room right now, I've probably got a whole bunch of blocks of the kaleidoscope pattern. And all the blocks are different colors, but the basic background is black. And I have never put those blocks together. They're just sitting there in a pile ready for me to sew them together. i got lots of unfinished projects. Yeah. <laughs> Another quilt hanging in here is a quilt that looks like fall leaves. It's got some dimensional parts that stick out, and they kind of all interchange and mix with each other, and they kind of stick out, you know, 3D effect. And then I have a quilt that we did at the quilt retreat. We had a tea party quilt retreat. It has all kinds of tea party. Everybody was supposed to make tea party blocks, just small blocks. It's got a hand with a white glove on it. It has a clock, two o'clock tea, and it's got little teapots and tea party hats and teacups, and just all different things like that. Oh, in my sewing room, this is an interesting thing in my sewing room. When I converted this garage to be my sewing room, I decided I wanted to put a border around the top, and I was making six-inch blocks to go around the room. Well, that takes a lot of blocks to go around a two-and-a-half-car garage. And so one of my friends told the other quilters, said, everybody... It's going to be Anne's birthday next month or whatever, and she's trying to make enough blocks to go around the border in her sewing room. So they made blocks. So the border is six-inch blocks, and they're separated with a little strip of blue. Well, two of the walls are blue, and two of the walls have kind of a red fabric between each block and bordered. It goes all the way around my sewing room. Wow. I got tickled. This friend of mine, her mother comes over, and she says, and what does this mean? And she's looking up here at this border. I said, that means I have a whole bunch of friends that made me all these flocks. 
I've known a lot of quilters over the years. So I mean, hundreds of them, you know, because we just keep getting new quilters and new quilters. And I haven't met any new ones lately. Oh, yes, I did, because we used to meet at the park, and we don't meet there anymore, and we're trying to get it started again. Well, I went the other day, and there were about five or six of our old members, and then maybe four or five other people that were brand new to me, and I was just meeting for the first time. So... I still meet new quilters. Mm-hmm. I think the quilt I wanted to try to make is the, the puff quilt. Oh, I haven't made one of those. I haven't made one of those either. And I made one little puff so far just to try it out. <laughs> but I thought, I've got all this fabric. What am I going to do with it? And it's just, I need to give it away or something because I'm not using it for anything. Like for Christmas, I made everybody a sleep mask, everybody a face mask, everybody pot holders, and everybody a zipper bag. And so everybody got all the stuff that I made. I made pot holders out of some fabric that's actually drapery fabric that I had gotten from my cousin when they went out of the drapery business. Well, he sent me all this fabric, and he sent me, I will never, ever, ever run out of thread because they're big spools of thread, you know, commercial-sized thread. And I have hundreds and hundreds of spools of it. It is weird. I get all of these different colors of thread and not a single spool of white thread in the bunch. And that's what I use the most is white thread. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go buy white thread and I laughed because here I had 800 big spools of thread of every color. Except for and, the one you want. Yeah, except for the well, one. Well, I do have the white with me. I have two or three different white ones that are. <laughs> when he sent that to me, he didn't send me any white. And I'm like, you didn't send me any white? <laughs> he also drapery fabric, a lot of drapery fabric. So that's when I made the pot holders. They, some of it was real heavy-duty cotton drapery fabric. So I said, hey, I'm just, something else am I going to make with this? I'm just going to make pot holders. Yeah. And then some of them I made with regular fabric, and I would do it with strips of pieces. And I'm trying to be creative in everything I do, so... I got a lot of little trash bags that are just a, like a baby pillowcase size. Mm-hmm. And it's got a, a handle and it has a kind of a piece of uh, plastic tubing going through it so it holds it open. So these are little hanging trash bags in my sewing room. And I've got about four or five of them hanging this here and there, one by the sewing machine, one by my desk, one over here where my cut cable is. And I store most of my stuff in the my room is in plastic tubs that have lids on them or in some kind of basket. Yeah. looks pretty messy in here. I haven't straightened this up or organized it in a long time, and I really need to do that. But I have so much stuff in here, I don't know what I'm going to do with all of it. Yeah. Did you have a favorite part of the quilting process, or did you like all of it? Well, I don't like the quilting part. <laughs> I don't want to sit at a quilt frame and hand quilt. So that's too slow for me, and my back would start hurting. And I thought, I'm just going to get somebody to quilt this for me. So a lot of my quilts were quilted by somebody else and not me. Some of them I did myself. And at this point, I don't really have a place to set up a quilt frame where I could sit at it and quilt. I've tried using, like, Smaller things like a hoop or something, but if it's a great big quilt, that doesn't work for me. 
and I've tried to use my sewing machine to machine quilt, and I'm not good at that at all, but I did do one the other day that was just a wall hanging size. I don't know what wall hanging size is, but <laughs> about three feet wide and three feet tall. <laughs> but I didn't do a very good job. And I noticed the other day, I said, oh, I didn't do this one border where I was just kind of meandering around. And part of the border is not quilted, so I've got to get that back on the same machine and finish that. And then I come upon an idea, instead of putting batting, why don't I just put a fleece blanket on the back? So I bought some fleece, but I haven't made a quilt to put the fleece blanket on yet. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I would just tie it. I don't think I would actually quilt it. Uh Uh-huh. That works. But I really don't need any more quilts. And I don't even hardly use the ones I have other than for decoration on the wall or just lay it on the bed. Nobody's sleeping in the bed. Nobody's covered up with a quilt. I sleep with a fleece blanket. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim sleeps with a comforter on him. And my son sleeps with a comforter. I think Izzy has a quilt on his bed, so <laughs> he does cover up with a quilt. I think he had one of his own that somebody made him, and then he has one of mine. And I've probably made everybody in my family at least one quilt. I know I've made my sister and brothers. My younger brother passed away, so he probably didn't get a quilt. Tell me about your worst quilting experience. Well, that would be the one where I cut all the pieces the wrong way. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) The wrong size or something. I got mixed up and cut half of this expensive fabric wrong. I was supposed to be cutting four and a half inches, and for some reason I switched over to three and a half inches, something I couldn't make bigger. Yeah. And I thought, and I'm going to have to go back and cut all of this over again. And I think I just put that in a bag and it's probably in my sewing closet somewhere. <laughs> I've made lots of quilts in lots of different ways, different patterns and stuff. And like this one that's black with a whole bunch of little interlocking pinwheels on it, I'll call them. That one was kind of tricky, and I spent a lot of time, and there's a lot of blocks. That's another thing. I get to baking blocks, and I forget how many I need, and I make more than I need. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's better than not making enough. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> oh, here's another story about my mom. She would sit and knit, and she would just knit a strip of fabric that was about two inches wide. It'd be real, real, real long. I said, what are you making, Mom? She's Oh, I'm not making anything. I'm just knitting. I'm just knitting. You know, she'd sit here in the sewing room with me because she lived with me for seven years. Uh-huh. She'd be in here and she'd just be knitting. I said, Mom, I need you to make 50 strips like this. And she said, 50? I said, yeah, you can do that. You've already made 10 today. <laughs> <laughs> and so we took the little strips that were about three feet long, and they're about two inches wide, and I rolled them up real tight tied a, a piece of yarn around the outside, and they're pincushion. And this one is stuck on the top of the spool. It used to have thread on it, a spool of thread. And then it's glued into a lid of something. So that's the base of the pincushion. And it makes a great pincushion. The pins go in so easily, and, you know, it just worked great. So we made those to give to all the people that went to the quilt retreat that year. That's why I wanted her to make so many. I give them something every year. We make something. We make a little goodie bag. It might have a package of needles and a package of needle threaders in it. 
it might have a school with red or whatever, we would think of something to, to give everybody at the quilt retreat. Neat. And, uh, and how nice that so. you could include your mom in making those. Yeah, she liked to sit in here and be with me in the sewing room, but most of the time she was just knitting, not making anything. She just knitting, just keep her hands busy. And I'd get tickled at her because she would write the minutes of the day down. She would write what we did that day. And one day I said, now, Mom, I have to run up here to the gas station to get gas in my car so we can go to wherever we were going later that day. And I get back, and she has written the minutes of the day. and left to go get gasoline. She's still gone. She has been gone for hours. I don't know when she's coming back. Anne is still not back. And she'd put the time and Anne's still not back. And <laughs> she was so funny. And she would get so mad at my husband. And one day she's trudging in with her walker and she's so furious. She's, I just, that man makes me so mad. Well, I knew she's talking about my husband. So I said, and what did that man do now? She said, he said, I can't wear this to Walmart. Well, I couldn't tell what she had on because I had put these fabric pockets around her walker in the front and, and on the inside. So she could put stuff in all those pockets. She could put her books, her knitting, her food, whatever. <laughs> and so she gets all the way into the sewing room. Well, she turns around. Well, she doesn't have any pants on. She just has a blouse. And I said, well, Mom, you can wear that to Walmart if you want to. But first, you're going to have to iron the wrinkles out of that. And she looks down, and she sees her little wrinkled legs, and she says, oh, it'll take me a month of Sundays to get this <laughs> wrinkles out of these. And I said, well, here's the iron. Start ironing. Oh, no. <laughs> she just laughed. I said, well, I'll just go get your pants and bring them to you. You just forgot to put your pants on. And so we had a big laugh. It was so funny. I said, here's iron. Start ironing. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with my mom when she lived here for seven years. But it got to where I couldn't take her to quilting. She was bedridden. We did have kind of a hospice thing where the lady would come and stay with her so I could go to the grocery store or something, you know. Yeah. And so I could go to quilting to get the hospice people to come. But she, they wouldn't stay here but about two hours. So I didn't even get turned around at quilting, you know. I just didn't know anybody that would come and stay with her, you know, that was a friend or anything. All my friends were quilters. So. <laughs> <laughs> she liked to go when she was up and could go. Yeah. But I had to stop doing that and taking her places. And finally she just died in her sleep. And then my husband died pretty soon after that. And he was on an operating table, have an open-heart surgery, and an unheard-of thing happened. The operating table collapsed and dumped <gasps> him on the floor. And he basically bled to death. So, oh, And that's no. why he died. He died pretty soon after Mother passed away. Mm. And That had to have been a hard time in your life. So yeah, much those were two hard times. But I survived. I'm a survivor. You know? mm -hmm. and I survived having a handicapped kid. And my other son was in a really bad motorcycle accident, and he had a brain injury, and he's still really hard to deal with on some things. It just changed his personality, something terrible. He's impatient, and they said when he was in the hospital that this brain injury was going to cause him to be very impatient and argumentative and really hard to get along with. And they didn't lie, because he is. My younger son will talk back to him. 
I don't. I just think, okay, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) He lives about four miles away from me. Yeah. So he's fairly close by, except the street he has to come down to get to my house is a big, busy street, and they're widening it. So now it's even worse, you know, because all of the construction and stuff. And he hates having to come down that street. I live in a forest area, so all the trees in my yard are at least 100 feet tall. Mm-hmm. I've lived here for 36 years, so the trees are big trees. And I was looking out the window yesterday at the trees on the side of my house, and I thought, Lord, look how big those trees are. Anyway, this one tree in the backyard just rotted in the middle of that up and down part of the trunk, and it fell. Mm-hmm. And it's still back there. <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. I cannot reach around the trunk of that tree. Yeah. That's how big it is. So looking at all of my trees, I said, any of these trees could fall. And we had a big windstorm, and my computer screen is behind it is a window. And I can see out in my front yard. I have a circle drive, but I can see one side of the driveway and see if anybody's coming in. I can see if the mailman came or whatever. And I'm watching the wind blow, and those trees are, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please stop blowing. That's making me nervous. (laughs) And I have all this Spanish moss that hangs down out of the trees, and it looks weird because they're just flying. They look like ghosts. You know, they're real lightweight, and they just fly up and fly down. (laughs) (laughs) I said, one of those trees is going to break and fall. Any of them, if they fell on my house, they'd damage my house severely. Yeah. But they're all that big, and they're that tall. I called my son one time when he had a hurricane. I said, Kenneth, you need to come over at a swimming pool at the time. I said, I have two trees fell in this pool. And he said, Mom, you don't have any trees by your pool. I said, Kenneth, if the tree is 100 feet tall, it doesn't have to be planted right by my pool. <laughs> the one by the airport fell down in the pool. The one on the so-and-so, so-and-so, close to the whatever it was, it fell. He comes over, and he gets so upset when he sees these trees. He says, Mom, this is bad. I said, I know. Of course, that's not the only trees that fell, but these are two big ones that were in the pool. After we had that experience, I said, you know what? I'm here by myself. I have to take care of that pool. It's a big expense. It's a big job in I said, I just want to fill in the pool and get rid of it. I don't want to have to take care of it and the expense of it and everything to clean it and all that kind of stuff. So we filled it in. But I never will forget him telling me, there's no trees by your pool. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have to be brought by my pool if they're 100 feet tall. And half of the trees in my yard, if they fell, any of them, they would hit my house. Mm -hmm. And I have a big yard. I have two and a half acres. So the back acre, I call it the back 40. Those trees couldn't hit my house. Almost any other. I have one right by my driveway that's a great big, I wish it would fall, but I wish it would fall out in the street or something. (laughs) But it's a sweet gum tree, and it has all these stupid little sweet gum balls that are all over the driveway all the time. And if you step on one of those when they first fall, they're green and hard. They're like stepping on a marble, and Mm -hmm. you'll fall. And I have to be real careful. I learned my lesson two or three times going out there. It took me three times (laughs) not to step on those stupid little balls. Yeah, they're dangerous. Yeah. What has drawn you to make quilts rather than using your time on like photography or music? Well, I do all three of those. Yeah. 
I write songs about quilts. <laughs> and one of them is a song I have to sing. We're the Tomball Quilters, and we're mighty fine. We can make a quilt in a very short time. Oh, we buy our fabric by the quarter yard. There's never a scrap that we ever discard. And then one of them is, I'm a wild and crazy quilter, a quilter named by Crazy Ann. A first-class sewing nut from old Tomball, born with a needle in my hand. <laughs> so I write little songs like that all the time, so. Yeah. And they go along with whatever was going along at the time. And like I say, I play the keyboard, but I don't read music and I don't write music down. I can just write the words and have to remember the tunes. But I've written <laughs> so many. I have them, some of them recorded on my computer. I was listening to them the other day. So, oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah. My grandson's name is Tanner. So it's he's a rootin' tootin' Tanner from Texas. Yes, rootin' tootin' Tanner from Texas. He's a happy little guy standing only three feet high. He's a rootin' tootin' Tanner from Texas. <laughs> rootin' tootin' Tanner. He's not from Alabama. He's rootin' tootin' Tanner. Rootin' tootin' Tanner from Texas. Anyway, goes on and on. <laughs> and then there's one about Ryan, but it's not as cute. It's a little lullaby tale when Ryan just stop his crying and go to sleep. <laughs> I've probably made up and written down three or four hundred songs, so I do have fun with that. What's a quilting tip that you would share with others? Measure twice or three times before you cut. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main one. If you don't cut it right, you're not going to sew it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many yeah. times I've had to go back and look, and I had yeah. gotten the wrong mm-hmm. measurement in my head, so it didn't matter if I measured it twice yeah. because <laughs> I needed the well, right. Well, that's me. I don't read it right. I have to really check and make sure that it's going to work. Another tip is try to buy your fabric when it's on sale. <laughs> it's too expensive for <laughs> That's a really good one. And patterns the same way. Mm-hmm. And I've bought a lot of patterns, and I have a lot of books that I don't know if I ever used. Well, I think I guess I did use some of the patterns in the books, but not very many of them. And I thought, boy, that was a waste of money buying all these book books that I'm even use. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, rulers, you got to have good rulers, I think. Good rotary blades. And a lot of little containers to keep all this stuff straight. <laughs> Get you some good quality scissors, good quality rotary blades and rulers and cutting mats. And try not to cut your finger off when you're using that rotary blade. Have you cut yourself? Oh, yeah. I learned not to do it anymore, but I was cutting long strips and I would have to move my hand up the long ruler. And I was kind of had my hand really close to the edge of that ruler. And when I went with the rotary blade, I just sliced off a piece of my finger. Ouch. <laughs> Ow. Ow, that hurts. I don't know how many times I've stuck my finger with a needle mm-hmm. or a pin or how many sewing machine needles I've broken trying to sew over a pin. Mm. And I always had a thing with a magnet on it so that I can pick up scissors and rotary blades and needles and pins off the floor. Oh. <laughs> because I'm always dropping something. 
So I have a stick that just has a big magnet glued to the bottom of it, and I can just pick up anything. Yeah, I've heard mm-hmm. those are really good. And I keep a lot of stuff in Ziploc bags. Parts of quilts are in Ziploc bags in a box. The storage box, I don't know what those are. They're a lot. You get them at Walmart. I guess you can get them anywhere, but they have lids. Most of them are all the same size. They might be different colors. And they stack up easily. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to share with me that you wanted people to know about yourself or about quilting? Well, I just sang a song. I'm wild and crazy. They call me Crazy Ann. <laughs> and uh, all my quilting kids, oh, there's Crazy Ann. Another quilting tip is to make sure you buy enough fabric. <laughs> if you don't buy a big enough piece of fabric for your back or whatever, you're going to be in deep trouble. Yeah, you mentioned buying your fabric on sale, but buying enough of it yeah. is another good. Yeah, buying enough of it. You know, you can always use an extra two yards for something later on. <laughs> Just in case you make a mistake, you might have to have a little bit more. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I so much enjoyed yeah. it. Okay, you're welcome. And come back in 10 years, and I'll tell you 10 more years of adventure. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll let you go, and good luck, and have a good day, and a good week, and a good year, and behave yourself, whatever you do, behave yourself. I'm always asking people if they're behaving, and I asked this man one time if he was behaving. It was just in a restaurant, and I'm standing by five, and we're getting our Coke out of the Coke machine or whatever. I said, are you behaving today? He said, behaving? I just spent 20 years in the penitentiary, so I backed up a little bit, and how did that go for you? And he said, well... It was good. I said, 20 years in the penitentiary was good? He said, oh, yeah. I said, how could it possibly be good? He said, well, I was the boss. I said, the boss? He said, yeah, I just retired after being the warden for 20 years. (laughs) And I said, well, what did you learn in all that time of being a warden of a prison for 20 years? What did you learn? He said that you damn well better behave. (laughs) (laughs) I just asked him if he was behaving. And I'm always asking, I'll ask little kids and they don't know what the word behaving means. I said, are you being good? And then they think I'm getting ready to tell their mother something they did that she doesn't know about and they're going to get in trouble and they kind of shut up. They don't, and I say, are you behaving? Well, are you being good? And then they get suspicious. Why is she asking me that? What is she going to do? (laughs) But that was the funniest one. And he said, that you damn well better behave. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Okay, well, I'll let you go. Okay, well, thanks again. Bye-bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.